Welcome to Almost Famous Minute, where we're discussing the 2000 Cameron Crowe film Almost Famous, one minute at a time. I'm Eric Nash from Feels Like Weezer. And I'm Aaron Stark um, from everywhere on the internet. Oh, welcome, Aaron. You're, you're the co-host with me for these uh, first three minutes this week and continuing for the next week, too. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a pretty fun show to be on. Oh, great. I'm glad you're, glad you're looking forward to it. This is minute one, uh, and it starts with a crescent moon in the water and ends with a lot of concert memorabilia. Yes, it does. And and one thing I noticed, uh, you know, it's 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 he's pulling the drawer open. This is a good two thirds into the minute, but he's pulling the drawer open and you're looking into his drawer. That's something I just <laughs> never really picked up on, you know, in, in, in the fair number of watches of the movie, you know, um, over over the many years. Uh, that that you know, it's like it's like oh, it's a bulletin board or something. Is kind of what I think I had in the back of my head. That that kind of makes sense. I kind of initially thought of it like a like a bucket, like a junk bucket. But yeah, oh, yeah. having okay. to pull, pull the drawer open and then looking inside, I noticed that there's a bunch of concert tickets and memorabilia. Yeah. In particular, uh, David Bowie pops out at me. Mm, okay, yeah, and um, Led Zeppelin is one that pops out at me. That that little uh, moment. Both those influences are going to heavily color this entire mm-hmm. movie, and we see the DreamWorks logo. Yeah, that yeah, that really kicks off. Uh, you know, it's it's quite a bit of time where there's well, I mean, the DreamWorks logo, and then the vinyl films, and and there's just certain certain amounts of periods of black, and that's actually the one the one <laughs> um, kind of uh, difference for this just this minute <laughs> um, uh, between this uh, theatrical cut that we're that we're handling here uh, to the uh, untitled version is just you know. I, I was made aware of just like, I mean, like a second ish, roughly, uh, roughly just a second extra, apparently of of, a, of the black screen being just that little wow. bit, a second longer. Why, why makes you wonder why would they edit like an extra second of black? Like what's even, why would you take it out? Like what's that's, that's such an odd edit to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it kind of is, but you know, it's, it, it's almost like maybe having something to do with the music that ends up playing a little, you know, I mean, we, the music that we get during this, this uh, first uh, couple minutes is, you know, a uh, uh, Cameron Crowe's wife, Nancy Wilson, uh, one mm, of her, yes. an, an instrumental um, that she, that was, that was a creation of hers. And she certainly went, goes on throughout the rest of the movie. There's little bits here and there of other kind of instrumentals Um and uh, also there's all the, uh, you know, Cameron Crowe himself and her and Peter Frampton uh, kind of created the, uh, the the songs for the band. Oh, I didn't realize Peter Frampton was involved. That's that makes yeah, a lot of yeah. sense. Song and he writing. even gets he even gets the little uh, small, uh, you know, cameo, not as himself, as, as himself, but as another person, just huh. about a, a third, a quarter to a third of the way in, I think, roughly. Very roughly. Huh. So, um, on the on the DreamWorks pictures, um, do you remember where what what the first DreamWorks picture that you saw was? Oh boy, because um, I'm looking at the list of uh, pictures on their uh, their filmography. My personal first one was way back in '97. I saw Amistad. Yeah, their second one. Wow. 
I think I saw the Peacemaker, but I don't think that it was good enough to make any kind of impression on me. Yeah. And I feel like I've seen essentially at least parts of all of these, maybe up until the one I've seen all the way. I definitely saw all the way through and actually even in the theater was Saving Private Ryan. And that's 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 the big one for them. I'm sure it's. Yeah, we my, me and my family will watch it all the um, time. But yep. And then this came out in 2000. So they'd been in business only for just a couple of years by that point. Uh-huh. And then the first sound you hear is that the sound of a needle dropping on an old LP. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, which, which is kind of this weird, you know, uh, you know, I know at one point when I was rewatching it and I was thinking, okay, this is this, okay, this needle drop I'm noticing, that's okay, so it's going to lead into the, what we'll hear in a couple minutes, the Alvin and the Shipmunks. <laughs> but no, it's, it's the, as I already said, it's this, uh, it's this intro piece. That was done by uh, Nancy. Yeah, yeah. And then we see um, another drawer near the end of the minute, or I believe that's another drawer. It shows a the flash of an eight-track tape. One one mocked up for Stillwater. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, the eight-track mm-hmm. stereo tape cartridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and so yeah, that's that's our first glimpse of Stillwater, and we even have a little picture with. Um, a couple of the, well, one member of the band and the manager. <laughs> did you ever, um, do you ever have an eight track player? No, no. I don't even know if I've ever really seen an, have I, maybe I saw it once in one of my church's rummage sales, uh, a, a player. I've definitely seen the, the tapes, but yeah. My grandparents used to have an eight track player in their house. They, they had, they had a bunch of dying technologies. There was an eight track player and a beta, a beta max player. So, yeah, that's it was it was really weird. The you would have like I think two songs on the whole cassette, and they were huge, very uh, uh-huh. very uh, inelegant way to listen to music. But I guess from what I understand, the fidelity was fantastic. Okay, wow. You know, so, some fun has been made of them, like especially like on uh, shows like that '70s show, mm-hmm. um, and, and like th- there's the there's the thing with how they kind of chose to like for, for especially for seventies music and some more, maybe, you know, progressive prog prog rock bands, you know, some longer songs and like how it would actually just go, it would, it would, it would cut a, a longer song in half to, in order to fit as many songs as yeah. they could on it. Yeah. That's back, back in the days of flipping a record yeah. in there too. Yeah. yeah. It was one of those technologies that, although it was, I guess, technically superior in some ways, because mm-hmm. I, from, from what I understand that the eight track, like the sound of the eight heads was better than what you would get on a regular cassette. Okay. Yeah. You could just put yeah. so much more on a regular cassette tape. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so like I mentioned a, a, few, a few minutes ago, uh, we also, besides DreamWorks, we also get this uh, vinyl films. Um, that's, that's a much smaller, uh, production company just for Cameron Crowe, really. Um, so, of course, and we also get his credit, so we could just go ahead and go into what, we, what we're what we familiar with of his work, if you'd like. Um, I, I love Cameron Crowe's work. My, I think the first thing I saw of his was Jerry Maguire. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty likely, I think, for me, too. I, I know, I know his, you know, there's, there's his directing work, but then there's also his... Uh, his his written work and because he, he did write um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High before, and actually another movie which I'm very unfamiliar with called The Wildlife, 
um, until he then uh, did direct uh, Say Anything, which I know I've seen most of, but I don't think I've seen all of. I wasn't a very big fan of the uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High era. That that I, maybe it's because I grew up with kids who actually acted like that. Yeah, and it kind of kind of annoyed me. But I really liked Jerry Maguire. I thought that the writing on that was excellent. It was honestly one of the only Tom Cruise movies I could enjoy. Oh. Not a not a super big Tom Cruise fan. Well, well, speaking of Tom Cruise, though, the what that's that's on either side of this movie, almost famous before Jerry Maguire, a couple years or actually four years, even actually uh, release wise. Um, but right after Almost Famous in 2001 was Vanilla Sky. And that's when that came out. And the, for the for the few years after it, I was pretty into it. I, I definitely loved the music. The music for all of all of his movies is is, is really ex- pretty exceptional, the way he, what, what he selects mm-hmm. and so forth and, and gets done for him with his wife, especially. Um, but yeah, Vanilla Sky, yeah, is definitely a, a, one of his weirder ones because it, ha- it's, it's, it has a sci-fi element to it, which... You know, really, pretty much nothing else of his has. Yeah, and I think that was one of the first deeply dramatic parts. I want to like. I know. I know that. I guess that's weird to say for Tom Cruise because he did more dramatic parts, of course. But he had. It was a weird, almost villain turn for him, Mm -hmm. where he wasn't. Because in most of his movies, when he's usually the hero or the conqueror or whatever in the, the, the story that was the first time that he was much more ambiguous with, with his character. I thought that he gave him a really good depth. And I think that that might be the last um, Tom Cruise movie I enjoyed, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm looking through his other ones. I don't really, didn't really see many, many others. We bought a zoo. That's a, my family loves that one, but really? Okay. Yeah. And I haven't seen like these most recent things he's done The we bought a zoo, Aloha, and I think I checked out Roadies when that first, I think, I think that was an HBO show. And I, that's when I last had HBO is when that first premiered, I think, unless I'm confusing with something else. And I see that he directed some music videos okay. and yeah. um, he did one of my all time favorites. Actually, he did wood from Alice in Chains. Okay. Wow. And that was an excellent uh, introduction to that band. That was in 92. Um, so, and then uh, Elizabeth Town and uh, released in 2005. I was very unaware of this. This is probably one of his I was the most aware of besides of may have, maybe the, as far as directing. But but because of doing this show, it's one I saw was available on Amazon Prime just a couple months ago, and I went ahead and uh, gave it a good watch. Um, and and it was it was pretty interesting. Um, you know, it wasn't wasn't uh, as big of a concept as the essay as even this one, almost famous, and, and definitely not. Uh, Vanilla Sky. Yeah, throughout throughout this uh, process, I hope I get uh, some good chances to catch some of these more recent ones. We bought a zoo in Aloha, I think. I've heard Aloha was really fun. Yeah, he does work with. Uh, he's big with uh, Pearl Jam, and then even more recently, uh, David Crosby. Yeah, yeah, and I heard I heard really good things about the David Crosby documentary. Actually, mm-hmm. I heard that was really well done. I still haven't seen it. I'll have to check out that Elizabeth Town. I, I honestly didn't even had never heard it existed mm-hmm. until just right. now. Yeah, it really flew under the radar. It seems that he had kind of a peak right around that uh, mm-hmm. late nineties, two thousand era, and then went right back to more avant garde, independent style work. Uh-huh. Huh. Uh, so the only other big thing to talk, I think, about Cameron Crowe, the writer and director of this this movie, as well as these other ones we've just been talking about, is that 
this movie is pretty much just the, you know, uh, some fairly autobiographical, but with a lot of liberties, I, th- I would say, um, is how I describe it. Um, I mean, so much so that they're not using his, he's not using his name for the main character of William Miller that we get, that we'll meet, uh, in a couple, in a few minutes here. Um, anything, anything more you'd like to say about that, Aaron? Yeah, it is. It, you can definitely tell that they did massage some story beats in it. Like they, they took with the, the fictional band and um, some, you could tell yeah. that they kind of possibly moved some time spaces closer to each other, but looking at it realistically, you can't really put, it's hard to put a narrative story in someone's actual life. Mm-hmm. Like you have to give some kind of adjustment to the, to the storyline. So I'm perfectly fine with any adjustments they made. I think yeah. that it's, you could tell that it's, it's true to the spirit of the story. Right. Yeah. It, and it's so much a love letter to, um, you know, two things mainly, uh, you know, uh, what, what he got, became very familiar with, you know, uh, being a, a teenager of that time, uh, this, the early seventies, uh, classic, what we now know is classic rock. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, singer songwriter, plus also hard, hard, some hard rock uh, groups and some southern groups, which we'll get to in just a moment. A uh, uh, little segue to that, but I, I just want to finish up a couple last points. Um, the only other thing uh, to mention, uh, thing that was credited was uh, Columbia Pictures as well, and that's just a much older um, uh, movie studio that uh, I think probably got in, you know, just to really get the release done big. Um, my understanding, yeah. especially through through Kevin Smith, and hear him talk about how the how the movie business kind of works so th- with what he would probably joke as his limited knowledge, and you know, be, being uh, uh, very uh, self deprecating. You know, it's just it's just this older, uh, bigger movie production release studio, releasing movie studio. I'm pretty sure that came it came near the end. Pretty sure it came near the end of Columbia's mm-hmm. life cycle. Like yeah. Columbia was. Kind of near the end, and it was more of just a name on it than they had really anything mm-hmm. to do with it, you know. Because again, I'm judging mine same way you are, just on what Kevin Smith has talked about with that kind of environment with those bigger studios. That that's yeah. that it's there wasn't really a production house so much as it was just the name that they were slapping on it for a while. Sure. Um, and then, so then the only other last point before we can possibly wrap up, or if you have any more to say in a minute, but um, that I'd like to point out is is just this kind of credits that we're seeing that uh, it's on this uh, yellow line pad of uh, paper, sometimes called it could be a legal pad or maybe, maybe even not mm-hmm. that size necessarily. But uh, we, we, it's a pretty close up shot of just, you know, the middle area, roughly, you know, we don't see the edges of this, of this probably bigger pad of um, paper, but just, uh, and it's all handwritten by Cameron Crowe himself. All these, all these credits uh, that we'll see over the next couple minutes or, or next minute or plus. And uh, so he's he's writing all these uh, credits, just starting with um, you know the, the vinyl film productions that we'd already talked about, Cameron Crowe mm-hmm. film, and and just those two right now. But we're going to get a lot more of that coming up. Yes, we are. We'll, we'll slew next minute of cast. Um, so, is there anything else uh, from your point of view, Aaron? That we nope, feel that... like we should fit in here to this. Minute? Let's move on to the move on to the ranking. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I did uh, in the green room. I did uh, give uh, uh, Aaron a little heads up on um, what I'm going to do for every new uh, co-host slash guest. Um, so next week you'll hear from uh, the guest while Aaron is on, 
continuing his uh, two week initial two week stint here. Um, you'll hear uh, someone else, uh, a guest, give uh, their ranking for these four bands. But this time we're going to hear Aaron since this is his first minute um, of the, you know, it's, 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 this is kind of coming from, I'll tell, tell the little background for it real quick. It is coming from the idea popped in my head when I was listening to um, the godfathers of this, of this style of a podcast, the movies by minutes format, uh, Pete and Alex from Star Wars Minute. And they, throughout their run, and, and the list has grown because the movies have been added to uh, into the Star Wars uh, saga. But you know, at one point they were when they first started, it was certainly a simple, uh, easy six movies that uh, they would often ask their guests to uh, rank. Um, so coming from that uh, point of view, I just I just realized one day while listening to theirs and thinking about doing this show, um, I could have someone. Uh, rank the four bands that are most commonly believed to make up the band that we'll, we'll find out a lot about, out about a lot more later, uh, Stillwater. Um, so they are um, the Almond Brothers Band, Eagles, Led Zeppelin, and Leonard Skinner. So just uh, from from favorite to least or least to favorite, you let us know and you can give us your list and talk a little bit about any or all of them that you'd like and what all right. well, what, any thoughts that you have on any of them too. Um, going from least favorite to favorite. Okay. Um, I would say that my least favorite would out of those, and again, not least favorite meaning just out of these four. They're all awesome bands. So okay, you yeah, good. It's good that, to know. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy all four bands. Yeah. Um, I think the Eagles would be my least favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife loves them. I'm not as big of a fan. I think that they're a bit more commercial and overplayed. Mm. Um, I think that next would be Leonard Skinnerd. I think that they're very influential, but I kind of have an issue with the deep Southern racism in a lot of their yeah, music. Right, yeah. And that, that has, was always kind of an issue for it, but I love the tunes. Um, Allman brothers would then be next. I've always loved the Allman brothers band in particular, the song whipping post. I think yeah. that's oh, an yeah. awesome mm. track. Um, it's that is right up there with my favorites. And then all time favorite would have to be Led Zeppelin. I mean, they're the King of the genre. They are the mm-hmm. epitome of what a classic rock band would be, would want to ever be. And I think that their their music hit so many different genres and did so many different genres mm-hmm. so well that from blues to gospel to hard rock yeah. to jazz, they kind of touched on so many different areas. And yeah, I'd say Led Zeppelin would be the top. Yeah, it's, I think too many people pin down Led Zeppelin as just this uh, blues stealing band. <laughs> um, and it's a, it's a yeah. real shame that, that, that people don't have a more open mind to really uh dig into a lot of more a lot more of their music than than oh just the first record or two i take issue with the stealing point of it because that in my opinion that wasn't stealing that was that was a blues homage they were showing reverence to the craft like they that wasn't they weren't aping it for for their own ends they were they were doing it the way that it's supposed to be done so Mm -hmm. that's yeah oh cool yeah that's a that's a great list i think and um, look forward to a lot more hearing a lot more other people's as we uh, go through all these minutes. Um, so this was the very first minute of Almost Famous Minute uh, going through the movie Almost Famous one minute at a time. Um, this is Monday, of course. I don't even know if I mentioned that right off the bat. And we'll, we'll be back on Wednesday um, with minute two, uh, continuing with Aaron uh, throughout the rest of the week. Um, and until then, it's all happening. It's all happening. I am a golden god!
You know the queen of hearts is always your best bet. You still have time for a tempting snack. Are you sick and tired of movie review shows that are just missing something? Do you need more history? Do you need more laughs? Do you need more meandering, insane ramblings than most movie shows provide? Well, then I've got the show for you. Real Rock, with me, the rock and roll reverend Andy King. On Real Rock, we look to dissect rock and roll movies from not only a historical view, but also through a critical and oftentimes personal view. Every episode of Real Rock is a little different, with occasional parodies, sometimes special guests, and a lot of unhinged rants. So pass the popcorn, pass the vape, and hit the lights. We're going to the movies. Listen to Real Rock wherever you catch your pods. Love Target? Well, you're about to love it even more. Target's new Red Card Reloadable saves you 5% every Target trip, in-store and online, and doesn't require a bank account or credit check to get approved. Target.com slash RedCard to get all the details. Restrictions apply. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 